This is America on the Road, named Best Radio Show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Today we have the details on the just-announced all-new Maserati Gran Turismo, and it is one hot car sizzling. It comes with not one, but instead two very innovative powertrains, and we'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you they're excited in Maserati about it. Auto sales are finally up as the car industry begins to solve its parts supply issues, but the rising tide didn't lift all boats. And we'll tell you which car companies made gains and which ones are still struggling in the water there. Uh, America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. And don't spell out hyphen, just stick a hyphen in there. Hi, I'm Jack Nierad. With me is guest host Matt DiLorenzo. He's smiling and happy to be with us, I think. Matt has been a frequent guest on the show, and he has a new book called How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. Great to have him on the show this week. Thanks for being with us, Matt. We're so glad to have you. It's always great to be here, Jack. Matt is such a knowledgeable guy. He will also be our special guest for this week. Look at that. Serving two, two roles on the show. He's a fellow North American Car of the Year juror, expert on electric cars, and expert on all cars in the car industry, for that matter. I reported at Road and & Track and Automotive News, Auto Week, among others. And, of course, we'll discuss his new book with him, in addition to electric cars. There's a lot of rosy predictions about electric cars we can talk about, Matt. Are you ready for all that? Are you ready to talk about all this stuff? Oh, yeah. 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 It's a brave new world out there. There's a lot to talk about. So, yeah, we'll, we'll cover some ground. Yes, we will. And it is a brave new world. And we'll, we'll see how brave it really turns out to be. In the road test segment, I will not, be, uh, not only be road testing one of our favorite crossover SUVs, the Mazda CX-9, also give you the details on a road trip my wife Sandy and I and another couple took in the vehicle. We went to what some might call an unlikely place or two. So we'll tell you about that coming up. That's all going to be available for you. Hear about the NERADS road trip. It is America on the road after all. Uh, but before we do anything else, we'll be bringing you some of the most important automotive information from around the world. So stay with us. With Matt DiLorenzo, this is Jack Nierad. With you, we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with guest host Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Nierad back with you. Chris Teague couldn't be with us today, but we have Matt subbing for him, as he always does a marvelous job, really auto expert uh, personified. That's Matt DiLorenzo. And News time. Uh, the hottest piece of news, I think, is this new Maserati Gran Turismo uh, that's just introduced. The Gran Turismo is looking pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you've probably seen pictures of this too, Matt. Uh, it strikes me as a little bit of old school in this design. It's not really reach out, but I, I really like it. I mean, what's your take? Yeah, it's an evolutionary um, a design. You know, the, the uh, previous Gran Turismo has been around for about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. So, um, and they had this kind of radical looking Alfieri kind of sports car. They took the middle path and just did an evolutionary change on this car. And it's sexy, it's Italian. 
it's really nice to see that they're staying in the game, both with, the, you know, the two powertrains you were mentioning. Yeah, and the powertrains are an internal combustion engine, very powerful, and then a battery electric powertrain that's really interesting. Uh, so I like both of these, but, uh, you know, I, I like the, what they've done with the looks. It's going to be built 100% in Italy. They're qu quite proud mm -hmm. of that. I mean, everything that's in this thing, I mean, I think even to the sound system, comes from Italy, so if you like things Italian, and certainly Italian design is gorgeous, and I, you know, I love the country of Italy too. I love the food, I love the people, I love everything <laughs> about it. I love going there. Uh, I'd love to go there again, but uh, this is really cool stuff, isn't it? I, you know, the uh, V6 engine, 490 horsepower uh, twin turbo in, in basic three liter form, and then the high performance Trofeo version, same engine, goes to 550 horsepower, you know, that's a lot of juice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, they take advantage of their partnership. They're all kind of under the Stellantis uh, umbrella. And that V6 engine comes from down the road at Ferrari. So it has a, a marvelous, you know, Italian sound to it. I'm just really happy that there are cars like this that reflect their country of origin and have certain design cues that, that, that are exciting, you know. I think we, we have had enough of androgynous cars that could be from anywhere. Yeah, and we have that all the time. And certainly the, de the design community, right? I mean, Americans are in Japan designing Korean cars. You know, it's, it's all yeah. crazy. Or they're in America and we have Europeans designing uh, Korean cars uh, here in America. It's, it's kind of nuts. So I'm 100% I'm with you. It's kind of cool that... This national uh, origin of Italy just kind of permeates the Gran Turismo, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it's it's what makes the the cars so interesting, and you know Maserati's been fairly successful down here in Orange County. You you see a lot of them. You go outside other parts of the country, they're really rare birds, but um, uh, places like Newport Beach, they've really embraced uh, embraced the mark. Yeah, and I have seen some, even in the town in which I live, which is uh, kind of gentrified since I moved in here. I, I bring the uh, average uh, income way, way down in this town, but uh, there's a lot of people with Maseratis here, so that's pretty cool. I'm excited about this battery electric powertrain. It's called the Fulgore system, or Fulgore, I think, probably Fulgore, right? Uh, you've got mm -hmm. an Italian in your background, certainly, Matt. 800-volt te technology three permanent magnet motors that give up to 760 horsepower at the wheels. I mean, this this could, should be a rocket ship. Yeah, it will be. I, you know, the, the interesting thing, one of the great things about Maseratis is the sound signature. And uh, uh, Dodge just showed this concept car, electric uh, charger, and it has sort of this fake V8 engine Hemi sound. Right. So right. I'm I'm really interested to see what Maserati does in terms of what sort of sound signature they give uh, this electric vehicle, and whether or not people accept it. You know, whether oh that's a real thing or this is obviously you know fake, yeah. <laughs> and and will want the you know the V6 powered version. Yeah. I, I you know so. I don't know. I'm not. I have never been one of these sound guys or the, you know, engines. I, I think that was something that, you know, some car writer two generations mm -hmm. before us just decided to throw in and it's become a thing uh, to the point where they're, we write about it, then they tune exhaust to sound like something, and then mm -hmm. now they're piping in sounds. You can make it right. sound like anything you want. And I, I just think that's kind of bogus myself. 
if yep. an electric car is soundless or the electric car sounds like an electric car, well, so be it. That's that's what's going on. One of the things I think is interesting about this uh, vehicle or this application is how they place the batteries because they place them kind of around where the seats go so they can keep the seats down low and you know you're not sitting atop the batteries in a lot of vehicles and and certainly crossovers that are electrics you sit on top of the batteries i think that's a cool thing and to make this a much sportier vehicle what's your take on that yeah i think they want to keep the center of gravity low they want to keep um, the seating position where it is so where you're not you know it's not an suv it's a very sexy two-door coupe so i i like you i applaud them for for trying to adapt the electric technology around what the vehicle is as opposed to trying to remake the vehicle because they have some sort of skateboard underneath it. Yeah, yeah I think that, that's cool. And, and it makes it look better, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done all the electronics, too, in Italy. Uh, they're proud of this vehicle domain, uh, domain control module that provides, you know, it's kind of the central brains of the, of the vehicle. And then they have an intelligent assistant multimedia system that they've also designed I'm really curious as to what an Italian-designed infotainment system will be like, right? I mean, how do you feel about that? I don't know. Maybe it'll only work part of the time. (laughs) It'll take a siesta here and there. Yeah, yeah, Have a big late lunch and decide, well, I'm going to nap for a while. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Maybe not. Uh, Sonus 3D sound system, also Italian, can have up to 19 speakers. I don't know where you stuff 19 speakers in, in this you know, fairly small coupe, but it's uh, pretty cool. The basic sound system is 14 speakers, 860 watts of output. So, whew, you know, uh, almost 1,200 watts of output. Uh. So all in all, I'm really excited about this new Maserati. I think Maserati is, is due for, uh, if not a comeback, at least uh, more visibility in the United States and the uh, We'll see what happens with them. And, you know, I'm always happy to see a brand doing well uh, that is a little bit different. So full electric version or gasoline version, your choice. I think that's a good thing. And we'll see what happens with that. Well, we we promised some talk about auto sales. And uh, largely they were up in September for for many brands. Uh, General Motors was up 24%. Chevrolet was up 30%, GMC up 24%, Cadillac up 50%. This is over September of 2021, which was a way down month. How do you feel uh, auto sales are going to do for, uh, either uh, now and, and through the end of the year, Matt? Uh, I, I think generally they will be trending upward because cars are getting old. People haven't been replacing them. We went kind of through a trough. Uh, I don't think they're going to be as robust, though, as as we've seen in the past where we've had 17 million car years. And I think the reason is inflation is taking a bigger bite. I think uh, the fuel costs, um, I think there's a lot of people who are gonna, who would like to be in the market. Um, they're gonna wait and see what happens. And I think it'll be really interesting in the first quarter of next year to see if we see incentives uh, making some sort of a comeback because now that uh, some manufacturers are, have their capacity back and where they're slowly overcoming the chip problems, we could end up into a situation where there'll be the manufacturer actually pushing their product into the market as opposed to 
selling everything they can over sticker price. Yeah, I think another factor there, of course, is rising interest rates. We're seeing much higher interest rates, and that's going to clobber auto sales. We told you we'd tell you about the marks that were up, the brands that are up. Toyota was up. Uh, Lexus division, though, down. Stellantis was down. FCA uh, was down. That's Jeep, Dodge, etc., etc. Hyundai had a, a nice gain. Honda sad i mean yeah pretty sad in the face of what its rival did toyota was up 17 percent. honda was down 17 percent. 35 percent decline for the third quarter i mean they're they're not solving this problem as quickly as some others are they no and i think part of it um maybe the the ability to supply the market but also their their product range is somewhat limited i mean i think toyota had some interesting uh, new entries into the market like the Corolla Cross, which is a small crossover and it competes with the HRV. Um, they're finding some surprising life in, in sedans. And I think their hybrid offerings help them a lot in terms of fuel economy. And um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Honda's got some new product coming up, new pilot coming in, uh, some uh, new CRV just hitting the market. So um, I think they they will regain some momentum. It's just going to take some time for them to ramp back up to where they were. Yeah, I mean, difficult for them. Nissan not doing so great either. So some of the major Japanese brands uh, are suffering. The Korean brands, Kia and Hyundai, going great guns. Uh, yeah, well positioned. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we will be taking a look at the uh, Mazda CX-9 Signature in our road test segment. And uh, we'll look at that, and we'll also look at a, a little road trip we took in it. So stay with us for that. With Matt DiLorenzo, this is Jack Red with you. Come back with us in just a minute, right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with guest host Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. Thanks so much for being with us. It's road test time and road trip time on America on the Road this week. Uh, not only was I road testing the Mazda CX-9, one of our favorite crossovers, uh, but I also did a road trip in it with my lovely wife, uh, Sandy, uh, another couple. So I'll tell you about the trip uh, in addition to telling you about the vehicle. But first, let me road test the vehicle before I tell you about where we went in it. Now, where we went in it was kind of interesting, though. Uh, it's a three-row crossover. Uh, it has many of the Features that kind of set Mazda apart, I think, more premium. Uh, It's a mass market brand, certainly, but I think its vehicles in CX-9 in particular are more premium than a lot of those vehicles. And I think they've enhanced that for 2023. They've made a lot of stuff standard. Touring addition is standard, and it's it's full of stuff, as I'll outline. Uh, It has standard iActive all-wheel drive and driving dynamics. I mean, this is probably the most fun to drive of all the midsize crossovers, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, they've done a terrific job in in um, doing the responsive handling that you expect from all their products. The thing about the CX-9 is it comes across more as kind of like a, a midsize station wagon rather than than an SUV because it's, it's sleek. It's really sexy looking. The third row is a little tight. But it's like you said, it's certainly a lot fun, a lot of fun to drive and very easy to wheel about because of its tidier dimensions. Yeah. Uh, For 2023, the base model is the Touring model. It has seating for six with the second row captain's chairs, a pass-through to the third row. Leather seating, power moonroof, LED fog lights, and wireless phone charger are among 
the standard features here, so this is really well equipped. It has the uh, Skyactiv-G 2.5 turbo engine, in fact all of them do, six-speed automatic, 250 horsepower, and 320 pound-feet of torque on premium. And Mazda calls out the fact that you don't get as much horsepower when you run regular, but you can. 227 horsepower. And I, I like the fact they do that. I think that happens in uh, a lot of vehicles out there. You, it's just not transparent or not revealed to the buyer, right? Yeah, you have to make a conscious choice. You know, you're going to spend, you want that extra power, you're going to spend extra money for higher price gas. But um, most cars will run on regular, but like the Germans, they'll recommend, you know, premium on their high performance engines. Right. So uh, all wheel drive system is standard. It uh, monitors what the vehicle is doing and shifts power automatically. So you don't have to do any of mm-hmm. any special things. And then it also has G vectoring control plus an off-road traction assist as standard. Ton of driver assist features are also standard in their iActiveSense driver assist, including um, adaptive cruise control with stop and go. You know, some some stuff that's, if you were to buy a, a premium brand car, a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW, you'd be paying for a package in addition to the higher higher base price to get this stuff. It's really got a ton of stuff. Well, I think that's, that's, that's a conscious decision on Mazda kind of to um, position themselves as a premium mass market make. And, you know, and that's reflected in the design because it's a beautiful vehicle and you look at it and you go, you know, they really use nice materials and high, high quality, um, soft touch things inside. And you get all this equipment uh, baked into the, the base price. Now, the base price might be high. You know, you might be able to find a cheaper uh, vehicle out there, but you're not going to find one as nice for the money. For the money. Yeah, agreed. It uh, has a two and a quarter. Uh, I'm sorry, a ten and a quarter uh, full color center display. It has the content Mazda Connect infotainment system that takes a little bit of getting used to because you have to use a controller. It's not a touch screen. I think that's good once you catch on to it, uh, and we caught on to it pretty quickly during our road trip. That uh, this is good. Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are integrated, so all that's to the good. Here's some other standard features. This is, uh, I'm talking about the base car here. I'm not talking about the signature version that's up level that we drove. This mm-hmm. is heated front seats, push button start, power lift gate, keyless entry, leather wrapped shifter and steering wheel, Bluetooth, uh, six speaker sound system, three zone automatic climate control. I mean, it's, and that, I'm just scratching the surface. There's a ton of stuff. There's a Touring Plus edition that adds some stuff to that, including 20-inch aluminum alloy wheels. Uh, and then the Carbon edition you talked about, that has heated second-row captain's chairs. They have the, it's a, one of these blackout treatment vehicles uh, that we're seeing. They, those vehicles stand out on the road. Yeah, but it's pretty cool now. Red leather seats. Yeah, I mean, I love these red leather <laughs> seats. My wife detests them. You know, she just doesn't want to go there. Uh, there is a Grand Touring Edition that uh, adds even more stuff. You can have either second row bench seats or captain's chairs. It has the 360 view monitor, so it helps you park. Mazda navigation is inc- included. Traffic sign recognition is included, so that's good. And now we're finally getting to the vehicle that we drove on the road trip, uh, which was super spectacular. It's just the perfect vehicle it turned out for this road trip. It is the Signature Edition has heated second row captain's chairs. So our other couple who occupied those didn't feel like second class citizens. They had great, great seats to sit in. Armrest storage, like in the first row. 
So everything was good for them that way. Uh, Napa leather in the first and second row seats, not just reserved for the first row people. And I think ours was in parchment color. The other color is deep chestnut. Not just chestnut, but deep chestnut. And they have quilting and all that stuff. I mean, it looks really elegant. I mean, you'd look in that interior and go, this is a luxury car interior, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's amazing what you get, again, in a mass market car. You would, you'd be hard-pressed, you know, if you changed the badges on it, if there was like a three-pointed star on it, you'd, you'd say, oh, yeah, it's a Mercedes. I mean, it's, it's quite remarkable. Uh, the level of luxury that you can get in a mainstream vehicle. Well, and let's talk about the driving experience and the and the road trip we took because it was fun. First, we flew into Kansas City, Missouri. Now, go figure. I mean, that's not you're probably your first choice or maybe your 30th <laughs> choice of, of a place to go on vacation for a couple of days. But we decided to base in Kansas City. Flew in a really interesting city, as it turns out, with really interesting history. We, t we toured it in the CX-9 and saw... A bunch of the sites, there is a Federal Reserve there. Uh, there's a money museum there. They even give you samples, but they're all <laughs> ripped up. Uh, a, a bunch of cool stuff to do in Kansas City. I, I was surprised at uh, how much I liked the city. We went there to see a baseball game. One of the the uh, other male of the two, uh, two males of the on the trip is a Kansas City Royals fan, inexplicably. Uh, so... He wanted to, and he doesn't come from Kansas City. This was his first visit to Kansas City. He liked some Royals players and knew some Royals folks, so uh, became a Kansas City Royals fan. And we saw a game there at Kauffman Stadium. Had a great time. The Kansas City people are so welcoming. Just the the ballpark was great. Kansas City happened to won, uh, win that night, so <laughs> that was good. They were on a three-game uh, winning streak, uh, which is uh, unusual for them this season. So uh, that was a blast. We had a good time there. And then we toured Kansas City the next day uh, in the CX-9, just drove around and found it, you know, just perfect to drive around in the city. Uh, have you ever spent much time in Kansas City, Matt? Never been there. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, maybe even more so now. There's some uh, yeah. more interesting stuff than you would imagine. And its history during Prohibition was wild. I mean, it was a wide open town. And so just that history alone is, is pretty interesting and what went on there and what didn't go on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, prohibition wasn't really happening in that city, apparently. And then we drove to Columbia, Missouri. And you might wonder why we drove to Columbia, Missouri. That is the home of the University of Missouri. And it turns out there was a country concert there with uh, Thomas Rett, who I consider to be the world's greatest country singer of all time. My wife just loves them too, and uh, the other couple wanted to see them. So we we drove. That's it. Was about a hundred hundred twenty mile drive, mostly on interstate. CX nine was perfect for that, and got there in in no time using the navigation, doing all the the things uh, worked really really well. Got there in time for the concert. Actually, we got there in time to have some steak at a steakhouse. You know, you can't be in that neck of the woods without getting a good steak. So we did that. Then off we went to the concert, which was on the campus of the University of Missouri in their field house. Spectacular, spectacular concert. You know, loved the opening acts in addition to Thomas Rhett. So that was all good. Uh, just turned into a great trip. And then, uh, you know, after the concert was over, around 11 o'clock, we drove the <laughs> two hours plus back to Kansas City. And, uh, you know, that kind of was our trip. Uh, then we were off on the airplane. So 
kind of a quick turnaround, two days in Kansas City and, and then into Columbia, Missouri. But this was a spectacular vehicle for that trip and, and a fun trip, too. Those are really, I think that's one of the great things, that even three-row SUVs, is that you can travel around with another couple in in great comfort. And, you know, I like riding in the second row <laughs> of SUVs and even minivans. I mean, I like to sleep when I'm in a car. <laughs> Captain's chair, <laughs> which is not so good when you're driving, but at other times, I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, no, so. no. But in the second row, yeah, you're not going to get much yeah. conversation out of me. Well, and sometimes <laughs> uh, you get way too much out of me. Yeah. So I think it would be a nice, happy medium there. Yeah. Uh, so very, very good. So that was our summation of the CX-9 trip to Kansas City to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, had a great time with those people. I mean. I should mention the food that we had, too. The barbecue in Kansas City was absolutely terrific. We actually ventured into Kansas City, Kansas uh, for our barbecue Mm -hmm. at a place called Joe's, which I highly recommend. Awesome, awesome stuff. But um, that kind of sums up our trip. We had a great time. So thanks for helping me relive it a little (laughs) bit, Matt. Sounds like great fun. Now i got to redouble my efforts to get to Kansas City. To get to Kansas City, yeah. right. Well, when we come back, we will have a special guest, and you're looking at him. His name is Matt DiLorenzo, and he will be back with us, and we'll talk about his book on buying an EV affordably. Again, with Matt DiLorenzo, this is Jack D. Red saying, stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Rad with you, and Matt DiLorenzo is our guest in this segment. He is our special guest. And Matt, you've got a new book out, uh, I think very apropos of the times. I mean, we're looking at $7 a gallon gas here in California, as you well know. It's kind of crazy out here. I mean, high sixes, I think, right now is, is the average. I've seen more than $7 in a lot of places. But uh, let us know about your book. Well, it's called How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car. And it's uh, subtitled The Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. And the reason I wrote the book is I, I actually I needed a car earlier this year, and I th- we had a plug-in hybrid, and I thought, you know, I, I should look at electric. And I first toyed with the idea of getting a used electric car because I'm kind of a tightwad. I don't you know spend a lot on my own cars. And then I discovered that I could get a Nissan Leaf for about what, with all the tax incentives and all that, for about what I would be spending for a used electric, so I bought a new one. And then I based a lot of my experiences um, in buying the LEAF and owning the LEAF to kind of let the average Joe or Janet know what it's like to own an electric car, because it's not like owning a gas car. A lot is dependent on how far the car can go with range, uh, whether or not you have access to home charging, uh, what kind of home charging you're going to be using. Do you want to go to the expense of putting in a really fancy level two charger, or can you get by, as in my case, which is having a a 240 dryer outlet that I plug my car into. So, um, you know, went through what what are the advantages in terms of less maintenance and public charging. You know, the, the that's one of the things that a lot of people are are concerned about because they come to a charger and it's not working. So, what do you do then? So, there's a lot of ins and outs to owning an electric vehicle. It's just not like replacing your gas car. And uh, there are some affordable alternatives out there under $50,000, but they're few and far between. And Yeah, I mean, and that's what I want to talk yeah. to you about, because the average transaction price for an electric vehicle right now is $66,000, $67,000, something like that. I mean, that's 
hardly affordable, right? But what you point out in your book, and it's so important, is there are some that are affordable, including the Nissan Leaf, also the Chevy Brent EV and EUV. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, you know, uh, under $40,000, there's probably about six or seven vehicles right now. There's things like a Mini Cooper, and uh, there's uh, the Kia Nero, uh, the the Hyundai Kona, and like you mentioned, the Bolt and the Leaf. But the problem is that um, it's getting, the new ones that are coming out, I I liken it to kind of like back in the 50s when, Cars were big and expensive and flashy, and all the electrics are uh, that are coming out, like the Hummers and the you know the Rivians and the Lucids. They're all high-end, really expensive cars. And and so if we're going to get to the point where people say we're going to get off fossil fuels, you need a lot more affordable EVs that are out there. And I I just um, I wanted to alert people to that there there are some options, but. There's a price to be paid, and that price is you're not going to have the range of a gas car. If you live in a really cold environment, you're not going to want one with less than 300-mile range because in winter, you're just not going to go as far, especially if you're using the heater and, and those types of things. So I think what, I, what I'm trying to do is align people's expectations with what's out there in the marketplace, and then you can make the decision whether or not an EV is right for you or not. And surprisingly, for a lot of people, it, it makes sense as a second vehicle, as, a, as an everyday com, uh, a commuter to work if you don't have a, you know, a monster, you know, 100-mile each-way commute. What, you live with one every day. Right. So, you know, you've not only written the book, but you, you've lived the book, mm-hmm. quite literally. You, you, you bought the car, you, you live with it every day. What are some of the things you found that maybe you didn't expect or... Um, Yeah, I I think the driving experience really is a lot different because of the regenerative braking and and range. It it plays such a big role in the vehicle. You can actually one-pedal drive. I have a one-pedal drive mode, which I I don't use typically, but you can basically, once you let off the, the, the accelerator, your brake lights come on and you will come down to a complete stop. Is there any reason you don't use it? I just find I like I like using a brake. I mean, I feel like when I get when I get off the gas, I should be on the brake. That's just the way I was I learned to drive. I'm much more comfortable. I feel much more engaged than than uh, letting the car pick the braking uh, speed for me. I I you know, it's just one of those things. Um and 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 it varies from car to car. So that's one of the things that if you're going to be in the market for an electric car, you really can't, you know, do the, I'm going to buy it online and have them drop it off at my house. You really got to get out, drive it, figure out how the controls work. Um, they, they do vary from vehicle to vehicle. The braking is different. The regen braking is different. Uh, and, and the most important thing is figuring out exactly how much range not that you want, but what you need versus your budget. Yeah, and and usable range Correct. too. I mean, talk about that too, because uh, whenever I'm driving in, especially in an EV with fairly limited range, and the leaf, I don't know what the range of your leaf is. Is it 140 or something like that? What is the? Yeah, 150 miles basically. So, yeah. how much do you consider usable? When do you start getting nervous about? Oh, I've got to go home and plug this in, or I've got to plug this in somewhere. I've I've run it down to like three or four miles it's showing on the thing 
and, but I typically don't. Once I get under about 20%, then I'm looking to plug it in. But I don't plug it in every day either. You know, I may, uh, right now, I think I got about 40% in there. And if I have a couple of errands to run, I won't plug it in until I'm, you know, I know that the next day I'm going to need the vehicle. And the other thing is they don't recommend you charging it up to 100% all the time either. You know, there's, I liken charging a battery like blowing up a balloon. It's like, you know how when you first are starting to blow the balloon up, it's very difficult, then it gets easy, then when you get near the full, gets hard again. Same thing with the battery. If you deplete the battery too low, when you start to initiate the charge under 20%, it takes a lot more energy to get the current flowing into the battery. And on the other end, when you get above 80%, it's like trying to jam that electricity in. All that is generating heat, and that's the one thing that uh, affects battery life and also uh, can pose a fire risk. I mean, that's the thing with the Bolt fires. They're saying don't charge your, your a Bolt above 90%. Don't let it fall below 20%. So the batteries are happiest working between 20 to 80% of range, and that's what you should consider your usable, really, uh, bandwidth when you, when you come with a vehicle. So I'm looking at 150-mile range. I typically will drive my car anywhere from 90 to 120 miles. And before you charge. Yeah. And that's yeah. just the reality. Yeah. But I've used fast charging, too, and that works out pretty well. I've, done, I've had a trip like to downtown L.A., which uh, the round trip for me was about 140 miles. I drove 70 miles up there. I plugged in, had lunch. It took about 45, 50 minutes to get about 95% charge, did whatever business meeting, and I made it back home and plugged my car in again. So you can you can get around it. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you don't plug it in every night. I, I kind of get that. And, uh, you know, a lot of battery uh, electric vehicle proponents are saying, well, you just plug it in every night. It's like putting your watch on the charger. But it's not quite like putting your watch or, or you know, your phone on the charger, right? right? I mean, there's a lot more to it than that in terms of cords and this and that. Uh, sure, you don't have to go to the big gas station, but in uh, in some ways you're kind of hooking up a gas hose to the thing every night if you're doing that or whenever. Right, yeah, and you don't go to the gas station every day. So I think that that's the other thing that you have to learn is that you only charge when it's necessary, but you got to make sure that you remember to do that. <laughs> because if you get yeah. up in the morning and, and you only have about 30, 40 miles of range and you got to go 50 miles that day, then you're, you know, you, you're going to have some issues. So Yeah, you're in a world of hurt because... Uh, you know, and as I mentioned, you can't get a, a can of electricity at the uh, corner gas station either. So uh, no, although there are some of these, uh, uh, there's this company. I think it's ChargeAway. So there are some people who are seeing some some opportunity in doing mobile charging to get to you when you're when you're out. But it's still going to take time. I mean, you you know. Uh, a can of gas you pour in in five minutes and you're on your way. Even if the guy comes to charge your car up by the side of the road, you're going to be stuck there for half an hour, 40 minutes just to get any usable range out of it. And that's the other thing, too, is that the bigger the battery, the longer it takes to recharge, the more expensive the battery is, and the more expensive your, your electricity costs will be. And, you know, uh, Tesla just raised the price uh, of their supercharging to 50 cents a kilowatt hour. So it's, it's, it's not, if gas ever gets back down to two or three bucks a gallon uh, and electricity keeps going up, 
there's going to be a play. There's going to be a, a spot where they're almost at parity. So it won't make any difference whether you're putting gas in your car or electricity. What is your advice for somebody who is looking to buy an affordable EV? You know, and then I want to see the buy cover of your book. Buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> buy my book. No, right. You know, I I think the thing, the greatest thing right now, if you're in market, is the internet. And that's the first place you should go. You should do a lot of homework online. Uh, look at the, the the electric vehicles that are out there. The incentives are an absolute mess after uh, the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, it literally pulled right. the rug out uh, from under two of the most affordable, uh, three of the most affordable electric vehicles out there, the Mini Cooper, the Nero, and the Kona no longer are eligible. Yeah, the Kia Nero. I was just on the event for the new Kia Nero EV, and you know they haven't priced it because they they don't know how to price it based on the Inflation Act changes. Exactly, exactly, because they're not built here in the U.S. Now it's helped Nissan because the Leaf is built in Tennessee. And they were getting near the 200,000 uh, uh, sales unit threshold where um, that tax credit was going to begin to phase out. But um, they're OK for now. But then next year, battery content uh, requirements begin to phase into where 40 percent of the battery content has to come from either the U.S. or a U.S. free trade partner, which is Canada or, or Mexico, or it doesn't qualify for it. And there are... Um, uh, vehicle price caps of $55,000 on cars and $85,000 on SUVs and and uh, pickup trucks. And, you know, th- there, there can be an argument to be made that the old incentives, you know, yeah, you know, you gasp, uh, I'm paying for your electric car, that kind of thing. But the idea behind it was good, was trying to erase the cost uh, premium of electric cars from gas cars and get people into EVs. This new bill is meant to re- it be, it's become a political It's rewarding football. American companies and union workers and Correct. And, and it's nothing nothing other it's than It's not going to do anything to get people into electric cars and right. and that's a shame. You know, if that's if that's the policy, then the policy should be to encourage everybody uh, to help them get access to EVs, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I wonder about any kind of incentive and, you know, jump-starting an industry for 10, 12 years, <laughs> and uh, if you pull the incentives out, then the uh, sales tumble back down. I mean, I'm, I'm just not a believer in those kind of incentives, so I think maybe you and I disagree a little bit on that. But uh, again, the name of your book is How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. Matt Lorenzo is the author of this book. Look for it on Amazon. It's a terrific book. You know, he says go to the Internet, but this is really the first place you should go. Go to buy this book uh, from Matt and, you know, learn from the guy who's actually doing it uh, what's going on with EVs. Really important stuff. Well, when we come back with Matt Lorenzo, we will have a listener question. So stay with us for that. Uh, with Matt Lorenzo. this is Jack Nierad with you. Look for Matt's book. And stay with us for the next segment right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with guest host Matthew Lorenzo.
episode. This is Jack and Rad with you, and it is listener question time. We love listener questions, and I think this is a good listener question. It's going to take us off the EV thing for a while. Um, this is from Tony in Passaic, New Jersey. He says, I'm looking for a full-size SUV, something like a Chevy Tahoe. What do you think are some of the better ones? Matt? The Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's yeah, good absolutely. One. You know, like, I mean, we've had a Chevy Tahoe for 22 years. You know, the same and, one. And they've done uh, uh, they've done a good job. The Ford Expedition is great. Ford was the first one to put an independent rear in a full-size SUV. And I I like uh, some of the... the um, uh, the Korean, you know, the Palisade and the Telluride. Now they're ostensibly mid-size, but they're almost full-size. And the same goes uh, for um, uh, the Chevy Traverse. It's literally a full-size SUV on a mid-size platform. So uh, there are some good choices out there. Yeah, one you didn't mention is one I've been driving recently, and that's the Jeep Wagoneer yes. and the Grand Wagoneer. I think those are really good vehicles. I mean, those are new entries in that they space. Uh, there's a Ford Expedition out front uh, of my house right now that I like very much too, but I, I really like the Wagoneer. Uh, now there's going to be a long wheelbase version of the Wagoneer and the, and the Grand Wagoneer that are essentially uh, competitors for the Chevy Suburban, which is another vehicle not mentioned, but right. you know, certainly an excellent vehicle in that class. So there are a lot of great choices, and these vehicles ride like limousines. They're luxuriously appointed. This is a really cool class of vehicles. I think, as you mentioned, uh, the way American family cars have gone. Right. And you look at those Jeeps, too. The interiors on them are spectacular. And they're spendy. I mean, they're not going to be a cheap vehicle. But, you know, I got into one of, I, I think, a Grand Wagoneer, and I thought, this would give a Lincoln Navigator, a luxury vehicle, a run for the money, you know. So yeah. um, it's it's simply, it shows what the U.S. industry does best. I don't think anybody for the money uh, can 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 match a, a U.S. built domestic full-size SUV when it comes for luxury and price. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Matt. We really do appreciate it. People should look for your book about how to buy an affordable EV. Uh, look for it on Amazon. Matty Lorenzo is the author. And thanks so much to all of you for listening to America on the Road. We really do appreciate it. Join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road.